Welcome to the Sky U Podcast, Episode 9. If you're wondering, I am not Chris Goyu4. This is, in fact, you straight. Chris is unavailable tonight, but because we love you so much, we are carrying on. And the we that I have tonight, first off, I've got Andy, go for guy 5 How's everybody doing tonight? And Blake, Iowa Gopher. How's it hanging? Before we get into Gopher news, I think it's important we talk about baseball. So, Blake, how are the Indians doing in the World Series? You know, we touched on this last week. Um, nothing's actually changed since last week. The Indians are still not in the postseason. They're still at home. Um, but uh, the Yankees aren't in the World Series, so there is some silver lining. Well, I'm glad that there is some justice of the world. Speaking of wildly offensive mascots and fan bases, Andy, I believe that the University of Minnesota played North Dakota last week. Is that true? That would be correct. Uh, they've they've tried to tame down their racist mascot, but uh, everybody just sort of ignores it. But uh, yeah, the the Gophers were up in Grand Forks to take on the uh, hated North Dakota Fighting Hawks, effing Hawks, Fighting Indian name that should not be named. Um, they actually looked really good Friday night. They came away with a two nothing win in, in game one of the series. Uh, Eric Shearhorn stood on his head, and the Gophers blocked as a team thirty some shots uh, to to hold on for the uh, for the two nothing win. And uh, then they came back on Saturday and, and lost. I think it was four nothing was the final. Or it was sorry, it was two one on two uh, one on Friday. I forget North Dakota got the the late power play goal, uh, and they lost four nothing on Saturday. Um, the offense had a lot to be improved upon. Um, this is supposed to be a high-flying offense. They're sort of bogged down with some injuries right now. Um, Scott Reedy didn't play last week, another good freshman. And then Casey Middlestat, uh, our all-world freshman, uh, didn't play in Saturday's game because he was injured Friday night. Um, Eric Vigo of GPL has got some uh tweets where he's posted some of the video of Middlestat basically just getting destroyed by about three cross checks in a row in front of the North Dakota net and then all the North Dakota fans responding to him saying oh that wasn't cheap shots that's just good hard-nosed hockey because that's their mo the idiots so anyways uh yeah go for split in North Dakota could have been worse could have been better but you got one win at least are they playing this week they are uh they're finally back home uh Clarkson as the Golden Knights, uh, another non-conference series. They come to town to Mariucci for uh, your usual Friday-Saturday night series. Um, and I'll actually be back on TV. North Dakota can't screw that one up this weekend. So uh, the Gophers are back on Fox Sports, I think, plus both nights. Um, you know, it's another tough series. Minnesota, I think every team they've played so far this season has been ranked in the top 20. Um, the worst team they played so far union was ranked like 17th clarkson comes in ninth in the country in the uscho poll this weekend so they're no gimme at all either um casey middlestat's a 50 50 to whether he'll be able to play this weekend the gophers really could use him on offense uh, especially in the power play that's actually one of the things that's been a little disappointing so far as the gopher power play has been just absolutely atrocious uh and that's something they're gonna have to get figured out here as we move in a little bit later in the season because if that's not clicking um they're in some serious hurt. Andy, as someone who doesn't follow hockey at all, how does the non-conference schedule fit into the season as a whole? I mean, are these games like do or die? Are these going to be important later on in the season? Well, I mean, what is it? How much? How important are these games? 
You know, it's sort of one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't situations. Um, if you go win the Big Ten, win the Big Ten tournament, then these games really don't matter too much except for maybe a little bit of seeding purposes. Uh, but if you have to make the NCAAs as an at-large team, these games really do will loom large come March. Um, you know, you don't want to talk about the pairwise in, in October and November. It's kind of stupid, but these games will make a difference come February and March, uh, because you've got common opponent multipliers and you've got comparisons against other teams you're fighting against. So, uh, you know, losing to UMD doesn't do green. Splitting with North Dakota will be okay. Um, actually, in some ways, the Clarkson games this weekend are more important because, well, you'll face a lot of common opponents that North Dakota and UMD will play. Uh, you're not going to face a ton of common opponents from the teams out east. So if you would lose two games, you'll lose a lot of comparisons as Clarkson then will go to play Boston College, Boston University, some of those other schools that will be fighting to make the NCAAs later in the year. And the Gophers will basically lose a comparison to them because the head-to-head. So it gets a little complicated, it gets a little crazy, but uh, uh, these games do, do matter and the Gophers do need to try and win as many of them as possible. Of course, it's not just the men who are playing. Obviously, the women are playing as well. How are the women doing so far this year? So the women got off to sort of a rough start. Um, They split their first two series in sort of embarrassing fashion, really didn't get off to a great start. Now, lo and behold, one of those weekend splits, uh, actually they lost and tied, was to Ohio State, who suddenly is the number four team in the country because they've sort of torn through their schedule so far. Uh, but the Minnesota's gotten back on track the last couple of weekends. They swept Bemidji State at Ritter, and then they went up to Duluth and swept UMD last weekend. So uh, they seem to have gotten things turned around a little more stable. They'll really get a good test and a good idea of where they are this weekend as number one Wisconsin, uh, still undefeated at 10-0, comes to Ritter for a series Saturday and Sunday. Um, so if Minnesota can at least split with Wisconsin, I think you could make an argument that uh, they'll, they'll still be fighting the Badgers for the top of the WCHA. If the Badgers come in and sort of clean their clocks, uh, I think it's more likely Minnesota will be fighting for that second or third spot, and Wisconsin will probably be running away with the conference. So, uh, good test for them this weekend, and we'll have a better idea next week of exactly what we're looking at. Is there any specific player that people who are watching the game should look out for, and that if she has a great game or great series, the Gophers will do very well against Wisconsin? You know, I think offensively, it's... uh, Probably you got to look to uh, a couple of your seniors, either either Kara Piazza, who's uh, one of your captains. She's definitely um, been scoring more of late, and hopefully she can continue to find the neck. Yeah, uh, Caitlin Riley, another one of your seniors, uh, sister of Mike Riley and, and Connor Riley and Ryan Riley, who played for the Gopher men's team. Um, She's definitely shown some offensive prowess at times this season. Uh, it'd be nice to see if she could chip in along with the rest of the second and third lines to get some more balanced scoring. Um, you know, freshman Grace Sumwinkle is another player. She has six goals on the season. All have come on the power play. Uh, she's got probably the hardest shot in all of women's college hockey. Um, and if she gets time to tee it up on the power play, watch out. She can just blow it past anybody. So the Gophers would love to give her lots of opportunities this weekend. Um, but obviously against a team like Wisconsin, trying to get uh, get penalties called is a lot harder than against some of the slower uh, teams that they'll face. 
Uh, let's transition real quick. I'm sure everyone who's listening to this podcast is listening to Great Takes Less Filling. So you're well aware that Chris, who unfortunately is not here, and I were incredibly excited on Saturday after beating Illinois. But of course, Andy and Blake were not on Great Takes Less Filling. So Andy, how did you feel after the win against Illinois? You know, after the win against Illinois, I felt a little better. As, as Blake can attest uh, in our in our Slack chat, uh, it definitely was a up and down process. You know, the the frustration of watching the Gophers squander two basically first and goals from the three yard line and only get three points out of it was um, insanely frustrating. But uh, you know, the defense stepped up in the second half and they finally figured out just to run the ball up the middle and let Kobe McCrary take care of it because Illinois had nothing they could do to stop him. Um, so, you know, it's good to get that first Big Ten win. It's good to get that win off your back. Now, do I think that automatically the Gophers have got things figured out and they're going to be able to compete with the last five teams on their schedule on an everyday basis? I, I don't really have that feeling. Um, you know, we could talk a little bit more about Iowa coming up and uh, how, how we look at that game, but uh, do I feel better than I did a week ago? Yeah. Was it the blowout I predicted last weekend? Not anywhere close. So we still have a lot of things to work on to try and uh, see if we can pick up another win or two here and get bowl eligible. Blake, what about you? I was at a wedding most of the day, so I didn't get to see much of the game. Um, but I was checking as much as I could. Uh, frankly, I, I was mostly relieved that they beat Illinois. That was a game where I, I kind of wish we would have seen a blowout just, just to kind of blow off some steam and because it feels like they've just been these tight battles where they just keep make mistake after mistake. And this game, like Andy said, um, seemed like they just both teams kept trying to hand the game to the other. Um, and it would have been a frustrating game for me to watch, I'm sure. So I'm a little relieved I didn't have to watch it. But I'm also glad they got they got the win because that's the type of game you just don't want to let slip through your fingers. I mean, Illinois is very bad, obviously, um, and I, yeah, I don't think Minnesota's figured it out. It was it was about as ugly as a win as you can get. I mean, Demery obviously didn't have a great game. He's like five fifteen and probably didn't throw a pass the, the last two or three drives of the game. Um, but you know, a win's a win. Um, it doesn't give me any, any confidence really going forward. Um, it just feels like they kind of had the ball last not last Illinois made just one less mistake than they did um so I'll be interested to see how they do against Iowa this week who's obviously I think a much tougher opponent than Illinois so you know glad they get the win but we'll see what the rest of the season holds I suppose then for you the most important question of the Illinois game was there an open bar at the wedding you went to there was it was it was great and I was I was fully ready as I was checking the game and like they tied up 10 10 I was like wow I can't wait to because I think we were between the reading and the reception at that point, I was like, man, we got to give me a beer here. They're going to blow this thing. But the beers turned out to be celebratory because they got the win. So, Well, I should once again note, again, for all of our listeners, and for really that matter, all right-thinking people in the United States of America, fall Saturdays, don't throw your wedding on them. But if you are going to throw your wedding on them, make sure you have an open bar. Because you've already committed one sin, don't commit two. Agreed. As you mentioned, Blake, uh, it is hate week this week against uh, the University of Iowa. I'm sure you personally, being in uh, a horrible state right now, are feeling uh, acutely interested in the outcome of this game. And as you're the person who previews our opponents, what should we expect from Iowa this Saturday? Yeah, this one, this is kind of one that I, if I circled the game on the calendar every year, it would be this one just because I, I am amongst these people and I have to... Uh, work and live among them and i think from year to year 
Um, after this game, it's just a year of trash talk and just being able to have to keep my head down because the Gophers lost and I can't talk any trash. And obviously Hawkeye fans, as much as they like to beat their chest about how humble they are, they are big trash talkers. So um, I'd rather not go through the misery of another year where Floyd is trapped in Iowa City, but we'll see. As for the actual Hawkeyes themselves, um, they're 4-3 on the season. They went undefeated in non-conference. Their best win is over a pretty good Iowa State team. Um, they struggled a little bit in conference now. They're 1-3, the same record as the Gophers, and their only conference win, like Minnesota, is against Illinois. Um, well, they, they looked a little bit better towards the end of the game. They pulled away. I think they were leading by three at halftime in that game. But their losses have been to Penn State on an unbelievable final play uh, and then on the road uh, at Michigan State Northwestern. And um, both those games were lost. Oh, no. I think they no. – yeah, it was. I think both were 17-10 losses where they only scored one offensive touchdown in those games. Um, and the offense, their quarterback, Nathan Stanley, uh, he's a sophomore. He's actually pretty good. I think he's got 16 touchdowns and three interceptions on the year, so it doesn't turn the ball over a lot. Um, it's kind of surprising he's done so well because I know they've had, they were going to have so many problems finding wide receivers going in, into this season. But they've got um, a senior, Matt Vandenberg, who was their go-to guy last year. He's come in. He's one of their basically one of their only experienced wide receivers coming in the season. But he's kind of been um, out outplayed by uh, a Juke wide receiver named Nick Easley, who leads the team in receptions and receiving yards with 31 receptions, 326 receiving yards, four touchdowns. So look for Easley and Matt Vandenberg to be the guys that are Stanley's top targets on Saturday. And then they also have their mismatch at tight end Noah Fant. Um, he's probably their to me, he's their most dangerous threat in the passing game just because he represents a huge mismatch for defenses. Um, and you also see a lot of um, Akram Wadley. He's their running back. Um, he's, he's heavily involved in the passing game. The problem with their offense is he hasn't been able to get going really in Big Ten play. Uh, I think they're 3-0 and when he exceeds 100 rushing yards per game, and this year they're 1-3 and um, when he doesn't. So obviously, if they can get that rushing game going, their chances of winning are going to be a lot better. But for some reason, with their offensive line, um, and they have a pretty good offensive line with, I think, four upperclassmen starters and one true freshman. Um, and they're typically pretty tough, um, especially pretty good at running the ball. So it's kind of strange to see them struggle so much running the ball, especially with the talented line and a talented running back. Um, so it'll be imperative for the Gophers not to repeat performances we've seen against Michigan State and Maryland where they just can't tackle him, and the running back just runs wild. Um, if they contain Wadley and just force the Hawkeyes to pass him, Hawkeyes is still a pretty good passing game, but it just makes their offense one-dimensional. I think that'll be one key for the Gopher defense is if, can they tackle and contain Wadley and kind of stuff that running game because it's something they haven't been able to do consistently up to this point. Um, on defense... Uh, it looks like Josie Jewell, their star linebacker, will be in play on, on Saturday. He was dressed for the Northwestern game, um, but did not play due to a shoulder injury. He's their you know their stud linebacker, their All-America candidate. Everyone loves to talk about him. We've heard his name so much. He's finally graduating, thank God. Um, but we will have to suffer through one more game with him. And he's pretty good in run support. They've got a pretty good linebacker core. Um, I think it's they've got four seniors, th three seniors obviously start linebacker. Um, they all they're in the top five leading tacklers for the Iowa defense, so they're pretty stout there. Defensive line's been um, a little flimsy. Teams have been able to kind of run on um, Iowa, Iowa defense the way they haven't done in the past, um, and part of that too is they're also missing um, their starting safety Brandon Snyder. 
Uh, he missed part of the year with an uh, recovering from an ACL tear he suffered in the spring. Um, and came back, I think, against Illinois, got hurt again, and he missed the Northwestern game. He's expected to miss Minnesota a couple other games. So that's a blow to their um, run support. And they've also been surprisingly susceptible to the passing game. I think they're allowing um, something like 235 passing yards per game this year. Um, and that's, I think, at the bottom half of the country. Um, so obviously losing Desmond King last year, their Thorpe winning, Thorpe award winning um, cornerback was a huge blow. But um, so there's there's going to be some space for Demery to find some passing lanes. But we, I mean, we thought Illinois was going to be susceptible to um, the passing game, but that wasn't the case obviously last week. And Iowa seems to be better than them. So that remains to be seen if he can take care if he can take advantage of that um, weakness in their defense. Um, but I think the big thing for me is when Minnesota's lost these games against Iowa, it's because they haven't been able to run the ball. And this isn't the toughest Iowa defensive front we've seen. Their linebacker core is pretty good, but the defensive line um, is a little wishy-washy. They've got a good defensive end, Anthony Nelson, but he's more um, in the pass rush. He's someone that I think he leads the team with maybe at least five sacks. Um, that's someone that will be tough to contain in the passing game. But I, I think to get going, Minnesota really needs to take advantage of that defensive front. Um, they've, a lot of people have talked this week about you know that three-headed monster of Kobe McCreary. Rodney Smith, Shannon Brooks, they need to get some production out of them. They need to get a running game going because obviously, as Demery showed last week, he's not going to be able to to carry the offense. I don't, I don't envision him taking a huge step forward this week compared to last week. So I think it's just going to be important to get that running game going um, in order to have a chance against Iowa. And I do think it'll be a low scoring game. It'll just depend on who makes the last mistake, so to speak. So we'll see what happens. I'm fully under the impression that all of the names that you claimed are on Iowa were randomly generated in NCAA 14. <laughs> it's all it's all thorough research. For for the Gophers is as you said, Iowa seems to have a weakness against the passing game. Is there something that when you were looking that they're particularly bad at? So are they giving up a lot of explosive plays or a lot of intermediate passing routes, or is it just there is an ability to consistently make plays in the passing game? I think it's just a, an ability to make plays in the pass game. They're not necessarily a ball-hawking secondary. I think they have, they're um, leading inter, their quarterback with the most interceptions. is only has two, and that's their junior quarterback, Joshua Jackson. Um, I just think it's the lack of consistency. I think Snyder is supposed to be their leader in the secondary, and they, it's kind of like the, us losing Winfield. Um, or the Gophers losing their safety, Antoine Winfield. He's kind of the field general. I think without them, they've been kind of lost, and especially trying to fill the hole of, um, you know, a Thorpe-winning cornerback from last year. Um, yeah, I haven't done any film research or anything like that to see exactly how vulnerable they are, but it just seems like they just aren't as tough against his passes as they usually are. Um, usually they're pretty good in pass rush, but other than Anthony Nelson, they really don't have much there. Um, so I think it's about keeping, you know, Croft clean in the pocket, seeing him step up again. Um, and if he just gets time, I think that our guys can be able to find find separation from their defensive backs. I just don't think they're as, as talented as they've been in the secondary in the past. Well, great. Well, hopefully that will occur. Uh, we're going to go briefly now to talk about the actually best team on the University of Minnesota campus right now. That would be volleyball. Rachel, our fantastic volleyball writer, is going to talk a little bit about the recent season as well as preview the upcoming opponents. Hey 
After picking up a quality win last weekend over Wisconsin in four sets, Minnesota faced Illinois on Wednesday night, and they came away with a five-set win. They didn't play particularly well, and right off the bat in the first set, they were just not ready to play. Lots of hitting errors. Serve receive was not good, which is interesting. Illinois chose to serve to Aliana Lee's Rosado, like, all night long. And she only, I mean, she was aced twice, but she did not have a great night passing the ball. So the Gophers dropped the first set, 25-22. Second set, they got up early, 10-6. to They served Illinois tougher. They, Illinois had some ball control issues, and the Gophers won. 25-18. Third set, Minnesota offense was really good. Got in rhythm. Alexis Hart had eight kills for the Gophers. They hit 481 as a team, and they won the set 25-18. Fourth set kind of reverted back to that first set. The offense struggled. They got blocked six times. There were other errors, little miscommunications. People unaware, you know, teammate had a better angle behind them, sticking one arm out and shanking the ball. So the Gophers dropped the fourth set, 25-20. Then fifth set, they got down 4-1, which often can doom teams in the fifth set. If they get down early, then that's the end of it. Minnesota was able to go on a 10-3 run. They had a nice little run on Lauren Barnes' serve. They got some kills in transition. And Illinois had some bad hitting errors. They had eight hitting errors on the set as Minnesota went on to win it 15-11. Now into the back half of conference play, which Minnesota's front half of their schedule was loaded with a lot more of those ranked teams, but back half will be a lot easier. Up next, they have Rutgers, who's 5-18, and 0-11 in conference. Last week, they lost in five sets to IU for kind of a battle of the basement of the Big Ten, so they're in dead last. They've got a decent hitter, but otherwise, they're last in the conference in kills, hitting percentage, opponent hitting percentage service aces, and then they're second to last in blocks per set. And interesting, though, is they do serve fairly tough. I think it's about 1.3 aces a set. So Minnesota, if they can just get it up, their offense should be fine. As I mentioned before, Minnesota, the back half of their schedule is a lot easier than the front half. The only ranked teams still on the schedule are Purdue and Penn State. They'll also have to go to Illinois again, but those are the only three teams that are in the top half conference standings. You know, Two of those games will be on the road. They go to Illinois, they go to Penn State, or they go to Purdue, sorry. And then regular season finale will be home against Penn State. Right now, the Gophers are third in conference standings at 9-2. and two. They're behind Penn State, who's 10-1, and one, and Nebraska, who's 9-1. and one. Michigan State's fourth, 8-2. and two. Then Illinois at 7-4, and, and Purdue 6-4. and four. Wisconsin is 5-6, and six, and that's just due to that brutal schedule having to play Penn State, Michigan State, Minnesota, and Nebraska twice, which they still have to play Penn State one more time, so the record could get worse. Uh, looking at kind of conference race, Nebraska, like Minnesota, has an easier back half of their schedule. They only have to play Michigan State and Purdue these last few weeks. Penn State, though, could suffer some losses. They have to play Illinois, Michigan State, Wisconsin, and obviously us. So things aren't decided yet, but... Minnesota might need some help. As far as AVCA rankings, this week it is literally the same, 1 through 25. There's, you know, still the same five Big Ten teams in the top 10. Penn State's number one. Minnesota coming in at five. Nebraska's ranked seventh. Wisconsin, nine. Michigan State, 10. Um, then Purdue, 17 again. And Illinois and Michigan receiving votes again in this week's poll.
Again, next match for the Gophers is Saturday at 6 against Rutgers. Then Minnesota will be home next weekend on November 3rd. They play Maryland at 7, and on the 4th at 7, they play Ohio State. All those matches will be on BTN+. Plus. So if you're in the Twin Cities, come to the game, because otherwise you got to shell out for BTN+, Plus to watch the Gophers, which that's the way it'll be for the rest of the regular season. Although I imagine that'll change for the last match of the regular season against Penn State. Right now it's slated to be on BTN+, Plus, but I think, you know, they're just at the mercy of football schedule. So once they figure out TV broadcasts, then, you know, Minnesota will get a time for the match, and hopefully it'll be on BTN. That's it for this week. Minnesota travels to Rutgers. Good chance to clean up some of those airs, and some of those reserve players get a lot of reps. Thank you so much for that, Rachel. Of course, uh, we've now moved into more of some general questions. And I think the first one, and this is actually Chris' question, he couldn't be here, but he is here in question spirit. Uh, So Andy, one of the things that we saw this week was an article that was satirical, but perhaps shouldn't have been. And it concerned uh, the trophy that the Gophers will be playing for on Saturday. Obviously, they're playing for Floyd of Rosedale, the second best trophy in college football. But would it be better if Floyd was actually a real pig? I'm going to go with uh, no, just because pigs are really, really messy. And um, I don't think anybody wants to see, you know, after winning Floyd, they, they take the real pig back in the locker room and the pig gets scared with all the crowds and the noise. And then, well, I'll just let you use your own imagination at this point what the pig might do next. So um, I think behalf of all winning teams... I think we should probably just keep uh, the pig in bronze form uh, because, well, crap. This is this is my view on this. I think that you should have both trophies, but I think there should be a real pig. And I think that the real pig should also be hoisted by the team. I'm aware that there are some logistical challenges to this, but it's hard for me to think of a more like just brilliantly stereotypical Midwest thing than a bunch of people sprinting over to pick up a large sow that just kind of hanging out, put it back down, and then pick up Floyd the trophy. Blake, agree, disagree? Uh, I've just seen too many times trophies broken in this celebration. I can only imagine what would happen if they messed up the pig or something happened to the pig. That's just It's just asking for animal rights activists to be up in arms. So I just don't. Don't trust console players to have the care enough to be able to um, hoist a pig regardless of, of size and be able to return to the ground safely. I just think that's just asking for a little bit too much trouble. I'm, I'm partial to the bronze pig. It's legitimately weird to me that PETA has never protested this series. I think they must give a pass to the, to the bronze inanimate pigs. I don't know, because if, if the whole thing is glorifying meat consumption, it's kind of hard to not pick up a better idol than a bronze pig in that world. Blake, you, of course, uh, live in Iowa because you've made terrible life choices. And so this series, as you mentioned, it's a little bit, a little bit tough for you. Uh, can you tell me what your favorite moment related to Iowa is, besides, of course, every time you get to leave Iowa? Um... You know, everyone talks about Field of Dreams. Uh, Field of Dreams is is a pretty cool place to visit if you ever get the chance. Um, as far as Iowa football team, I mean, it's hard to beat 51-14 from 2014. I just I generally love any 
go for win over the Hawkeyes, um, which it seems rare these days. But uh, when it does happen, it's pretty glorious. Um, other than that, I mean, yeah, I am, you know, I will chalk up some poor life choices to being Snowy in Iowa. I mean, I was born here. I had very little control over that. Um, but it has treated me well. The summers are pretty nice. Um, the winters, not so much, but it's not that bad. Andy, do you have a particular favorite moment from this series? Well, the first game I ever saw in person would have been uh, Mason's Last Stand, the uh, 2006 Iowa game at the Metrodome, where uh, Grin and Glenn made everybody think that he was going to be sticking around for another year before the inevitable Texas Tech game. Um, So that was fun, sitting in the student section when I wasn't a student and uh, getting a little crazy. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, Iowa's just one of those states that they they think so highly of themselves about a lot of things, whether it's the Iowa caucuses or whether it's the Iowa State Fair thinking they're better than the Minnesota State Fair. It's just, I mean, there's nothing better than taking Iowa down a peg or two. So hopefully we can uh, find a way to make that happen Saturday night. I love that one of the things that Iowa claims it's better than is the Minnesota State Fair. Not just because it's not true, but again, because this rivalry is so wonderful that what we're getting mad about is the qualities of our state fairs. For me, this question is actually quite easy to answer because I rushed the field when the Marquise Gray game happened to take Floyd back. We were talking a little bit before the podcast about various things, but one of the things that I distinctly remember from this is passing by Brandon Kirksey holding Floyd by himself on his shoulder. And I'm not going to go and say that I'm a particularly tall or large individual, but I will say that Brandon Kirksey, who I think was listed at like maybe 6 feet 270, is a giant man. Like an absolute giant man. And for that matter, basically every Division I football player, I don't think people realize just how ridiculous those people are as athletes. Even if you compare them to like a D3 team. So if you go watch like St. John's play St. Thomas, all of those people who are like reasonably good athletes and Jock Para are going to be fine. And then you go to the D1 and it's a totally different level. But we were there. We were in the student section because I was a student because football was terrible when I was a student at Minnesota. Uh, My buddy and I realized that it was going to happen. So we got in to jump the field early. You, unsurprisingly, there isn't a way to do that simply from the student section at TCF. So everyone just kind of jumped 14 feet down onto a snowbank and kind of hoped that the alcohol would break your fall. But I remember running around. It was an absolutely joyous moment. I am strongly hoping that a similar vibe in terms of Minnesota winning will occur, though obviously uh, not a rushing of the field. Yeah, I will. Uh, I will chime in on that as well. Uh, Chris and I both were also down on the field that day, and yeah, it, it didn't have to be the student section. There is a surprisingly lack of ease way to get down from that first level of seats, unless you want to jump about ten feet. So that was uh, that was a little bit harder landing than he might have wanted to. Uh, I'll just I'll just answer the question for Chris himself. Um, he'll he'll tell the story better if he was here, but uh, he was stuck in a outlet mall. Um, for the 2010 game as I was relaying him the details of the last four minutes of the game uh, via cell phone and he's out 
shopping, you know, Saturday after, it was a Saturday after Christmas at that point when we played them at the end of the year. So he's out with his, his wife shopping in some random outlet mall. I assume the Saturday after Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, sorry, Saturday after Thanksgiving. So he's basically on his cell phone, you know, getting all excited as a six foot nine guy in Zubas can get. And all <laughs> these people are looking at him like, what the hell is wrong with you? As I'm relaying the great <laughs> Jeff Horton upset of 2010 to him over the phone. Um, so, yeah, like I said, next if he's back next week, he can hopefully uh, tell the story a little bit better. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a, it's a doozy. There is a there is an alternate universe in which Jeff Horton got picked up. Like Joel Joel just went like whatever, let's make that happen. Would we want to live in the universe where Jeff Horton became the head coach of the University of Minnesota? I'm going to say no. Where cuz where is Jeff Horton now? That's an equally good question. Is Jeff Horton still coaching? The last I saw, he was the offensive coordinator at San Diego State. Are they any good? I think they've, they've had good running backs. I know that. Yeah, they they were they were good for a year, and I think they're supposed to be good this year. And then they already started underachieving, which probably has nothing to do with Jeff Horton. But uh, at least as of the last time I looked, that's where he was. He was the OC at San Diego State. I, for one, am absolutely shocked that a bunch of people in San Diego are underachieving. Uh, in the in the off season, the other thing that I remember, at least about this specific off season, so moving back to the present, uh, is that PJ got under the skin of one Brian Ferentz, and Brian made a made a few comments, and so I'm wondering for you guys, uh, when Iowa loses on Saturday, what will Brian Ferentz's reaction be when PJ sprints for the pit? Brian seems like the kind of guy who, in that situation, would go back to the, his office and just start throwing shit around. Until his dad comes in, just slaps him hard and tells him to knock it off. I just can't. This the whole father son thing kind of bothers me, and the way it was handled, I kind of bothers me. So it seems like Brian's just that kid that's just prone to tantrums, probably, and that's just how I see him handling PJ storming that sideline, taking Floyd back. What do you think, Andy? You know, the first thing that pops into my mind is I could see uh, I could see him pulling a a Woody Hayes in that bowl game against Clemson. Whatever, I'm not sure exactly what third tier bowl game Ohio State and Clemson were playing in back then and but uh, where yeah where the Clemson player was just running down the sidelines and Woody Hayes just lays back and slugs him one as he's going in for the end zone so I, I think you know I don't actually think that would be happened but you know you know little friends would want to just absolutely just power bomb PJ into the ground to keep him from getting to that pig who do you think wins in a fight I think Brian seems very thick whereas PJ is more wiry I don't. It, I don't know. I'd say my gut instinct says probably Brian because I think PJ just doesn't strike me as a fighter. Whereas I think Brian's probably got some more brute force to him. I'd like to think PJ could you know outmaneuver and wear him down, but if it's just if PJ doesn't see it coming, he's going to get laid out. Yeah, he was an offensive lineman in the Big Ten, and you know he played for Iowa, so he's probably really good at holding. So you know, <laughs> Blake, did you have a question? Uh, no, I was just going to ask who Brian was taking out in this theoretical scenario, but Andy answered it as PJ. I don't know if he'd just be taking out a random gopher player or if he would be directly taking out PJ. But I think he'd probably take out Herky by accident. I wish. that. Have you seen Herky, like how drab his outfit is? It's just like they bought it in like the 1970s and never updated it. Just literally a guy in a black outfit with a mask on. It's sad. I think it is like, I, I, and I'll have to go 
do some googling thing. I think it is the twentieth anniversary of the uh, of the year the Gopher Band broke the Herky head down in Iowa City. I do not know that story. What happened? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Again, and and we'll have to maybe we'll have to ask our our special friend. Uh, Ben Dawson to come on one of these times and tell the story because he tells it much better than I do if I remember. But I'm pretty sure there was some taunting between the Gopher Band and, and Herky, and and somehow it basically involved uh, Herky and a member of the Gopher Band getting in a brawl, at which the some member of the Gopher Band basically put several holes into the Herky head so that it was not wearable the rest of the game. And I believe that was also the last time the Minnesota full band actually traveled to a game in about 20-some years. So uh, there, there might be you know, multiple reasons for that. Pride of Minnesota right there. One thing that struck me as rather surprising, uh, because I get paid the big bucks to do this job, uh, not only guest hosting, but also writing for the blog, a solid zero dollars here, is I was listening to PJ Flex press conference previewing Iowa. One of the things that was sort of surprising to me is how complimentary he was of Iowa as a program, Kirk Ferentz as a coach. Now, I'm recognizing, obviously, that our coaches are there for a job. They don't have the same ties to the rivalry. It's far more professional. But I'm wondering, we'll start with you, Blake, uh, since you live in Satan's country. Do you think that the coaches in this rivalry should hate each other? You know, maybe this is a controversial opinion, but I'm okay with the coaches not hating each other. I'm okay with that hatred being exclusive to maybe the players or the fans. Because um, I do think it's important to have respect between coaches. Um, unless we're talking about a Brett Bielema, where he's just blatantly and belligerently like an obnoxious asshole. In which case, I want PJ to hate that guy. But in this case, Kirk's just, you mean, he's like an old guy that is set in his ways. And he doesn't really do anything obnoxious or ridiculous. He may make some stupid bonehead decisions sometime and be fixated on punting um, in the opponent's territory, but uh, I don't think he's done anything to the point where PJ should hate him. Um, I'm sure PJ probably has some animosity towards Brian, um, but yeah, I'm okay with with Kirk and PJ being on good terms just because there's there's no personal animosity there. Kirk doesn't show any disrespect towards Minnesota, and he's always been, in my experience, very complimentary to Minnesota as well. So yeah, unless it's a Brett Bielema situation, I'm totally okay with them not hating each other. Andy, what do you think? You know, I think it's probably one of those things where, you know, it's early in PJ's tenure, and so he he obviously has made a big deal about, oh, you know, Paul Christ is a friend of mine, James Franklin is a friend of mine, yada, yada, yada. So he, he doesn't seem like he's going to hate those games. Now, if he sticks around four or five years and we get into some of those games where we pull an upset over a Penn State or we pull an upset over Ohio State or Michigan, you know, I think, frankly, Harbaugh's the one that everybody's going to most likely have the highest opportunity to, to see a bit of a rivalry grow, especially if we could somehow beat Michigan a couple of times something tells me pj and jim's personalities would clash just enough to uh, actually get a little bit of a good back and forth going um you know it'd be it'd be nice if he hates him but you got as as, as blake said you know you, you don't really have that brett bielema sort of type of character sitting around right now where you just i mean you have to do everything you can in your power not to loathe him um Unfortunately, Kirk Ferentz and, and Paul Christ are, are pretty boring, white bread type of guys, and they're not going to really pick up the ire of, of anyone's fan base, you know, other than their own, if they start doing some stupid things. So, um, you know, give it time. 
but uh, you know, I'm I'm not too mad that PJ isn't willing to go down to Iowa City and start knocking people out yet. Well, then I suppose Andy, a reasonable follow-up thinking about this, especially since you noted the Harbaugh Fleck thing, is perhaps we can turn this question around. I'm led to believe that from fan base perspectives, neither Iowa or Wisconsin is particularly thrilled with P.J. Fleck as an individual. How fast are they going to pull sort of the Brett Bielema loathing of P.J. Fleck if he wins either of those games? Uh, before the Gophers leave the stadium. If, if Minnesota can defeat Iowa on Saturday night, you're going to be able to hear the bitching from the Iowa fans all the way back up here to the Twin Cities. Same thing, especially if Wisconsin comes in undefeated and P.J. Flex Gophers can pull a, a 94 and uh, upset Wisconsin the last game of the year, you're going to be able to hear the screaming and loathing and ranting and swearing of Badger fans from Madison all the way back to the Twin Cities. So it's just going to take that one big win. And P.J. will get it. It's a matter of whether it's year one, year two, year three. But it's just going to take that one really big win. And, yeah, no, P.J. is just like, uh, you know, Harbaugh in the way that he he does what he does, and he can definitely be grading on opposing fans. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's it's not going to take long. See, I, of course, I love PJ. This is widely known. But if I think about it, PJ Flag is absolutely the kind of coach that opposing fans should hate. He's like constantly positive. He's got a lot of catchphrases. Uh, we heard from uh, one brilliant Nebraska fan earlier on Twitter this week that he's all gimmicks. And I tend to think that the coaches that have the gimmicks, whatever it is, attacking each day with enthusiasm unknown to mankind, hanging out at frat parties... Uh, eating pizza in a sad manner, that those are the coaches that opposing fan bases hate. Assuming then, uh, for you, Blake, assuming that PJ does what we would expect him to, how comfortable are you going to be with a coach that everyone in the conference hates? I love it. I would love it if everyone hates him. I mean, he's the guy that they'll make fun of him until he beats them. And then I, and I'll, just, I'll just eat it up. Because, I mean, he's it, they're only going to hate him if he's winning. And as long as he's winning... I'm happy to have him. I think he's, I mean, I could see how his, you know, constantly using elite and the same phrases and, and gimmicks over and over again could grade on people. Um, and it, I think it'll grade on us if in three years we're still, you know, losing. But I think once he starts winning, um, I'll tolerate anything and I'll be thrilled that they hate him because it, it'll mean that he's succeeding. Absolutely. Well, with that, I think it's prediction time. Of course, the Gophers are going to beat Iowa on Saturday. So, Andy, how much are they going to beat Iowa by? God, I really wish I could say that they're going to beat Iowa, but uh, I, I have a unfortunate feeling that it's going to be another one of those games where the Gopher offense just does not quite generate enough, and the defense, while looking decent, won't quite do it. Um, you know, I, I I want I want Floyd so bad, but I I don't think in this current configuration this is the year. So I'm going to go final score Iowa twenty seven Minnesota twenty one. Andy Chris has just texted me that you've been fired. Blake, how much are the Gophers going to beat Iowa by? I say in my preview that'll be published tomorrow. I've got Iowa winning, but in this podcast, I can't bring myself to say that Iowa's going to win. I think the Gophers will win 
24 to 17, same score as last week. I think they take the pig back to Minneapolis. And I'll be there, so God, I hope that comes true. Well, we also hope that you as the man on the ground will be more successful than our man on the ground for road games this year, Chris, <laughs> who has not yet seen a single one. I personally uh, always believe that Minnesota will beat Iowa, regardless of whether or not the facts on the ground support that. I think that, actually rationally, that in a lot of ways the Gophers match up quite well against the Hawkeyes, especially if we get fourth quarter Demery in Michigan State, as opposed to whatever that was against Illinois. So I actually don't think it would be surprising, separate from whether or not that I was picked this in general, the Gophers win. But I think it's a reasonably low-scoring game. I'm led to believe the conditions are nightmarish, very windy and cold and gross. So I think it's going to be Minnesota 17, Iowa 10. That would be Iowa's third 17-10 loss in in the Big Ten this season. That would be incredible. Well, let us hope for that continuity for so many reasons. And with that, thank you so much for listening to us as always. We'll try and do better next week, especially since I imagine Chris will be back. Row the boat, Skyuma, and go Gophers. Go Gophers, row the boat.